1: Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainways.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. I would like to begin by paying my respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation who are the traditional custodians of the land on which I am coming to you from today. Land where at Brainwaves we tell our stories, and land where the traditional custodians have told their stories for many, many years before us, and continue to tell their stories. I would like to pay my respects to Elders past and present, and acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners who are listening today.
0: Hello everyone, my name is Susie Leach and today I'm really pleased to introduce David Ayliff as our guest. During his 69 years, David has engaged in various types of work, including office boy, cadet journalist for newspapers, he's been an actor, he's written a book, at least one book. He's worked for the Red Cross and the Guide Dogs and he's been a civil celebrant as well, just to highlight a few of the things that David's done. David has been married to Meg for 47 years and is a very proud father and grandfather and a much-loved brother. David has suffered from depression all of his life and spending 20 years in a religious cult from young adulthood added to this. David now lives what he describes as a fairly manic life and has come to believe he has undiagnosed ADHD. During the early years of the COVID-19 pandemic, David started a charity called Humanity in Need Rainbow Refugees, which supports LGBTQI refugees who are targeted by the religious right in Africa. Currently, David runs a disability organisation in Melbourne called Best People Care. Before we start, I would just like to thank Kaylin and Evan for their wonderful expertise and technical support, which I couldn't do without. Hello, David Ayliffe, and welcome to Brainwaves.
1: Hi, Susie. How are you? And thank you. Thanks for the welcome.
0: Yes, it's wonderful to have you here. David, look, that was quite a. You've done so much in your life, so that was quite a lengthy introduction. But can you tell us a little bit about your childhood and the cult you got caught up in, and what that involved? I know that you and your family were interviewed by Compass on the ABC about this, and that you and your brother have written a book.
1: Yeah, sure. Look, I, I, I had a very happy childhood. Um, really, um, I was the, I was the, uh, the baby of the family. Still am. <laughs> and uh, my my parents must have forgotten the menu or something or other or the recipe because I was came along seven years after my sister. Um, in my I struggled through through school though I hated school. I, I think I was a very sensitive child from what I've been told, and in my older years I certainly felt that you know, older school years even. Um, then I uh, when I left school. I really didn't know what I was going to do but uh, <clears throat> I was I've always been a bit of a writer and so an uncle sort of guided me into uh, journalism which was which was a wonderful choice at the time but about the age of 19 in 19 or 20 I started to uh, you know hunger for something more you know uh, finding out you know the meaning of life and all that sort of stuff and I I became a born again Christian And, uh, and with that was this real sense of, oh, God's got some great purpose for me. And anyway, I tell the story in the book, of course, and, you know, circumstances sort of fell together that seemed to be God driven. Now I, I, I'm a great believer in um, <laughs> coincidence more than anything else. Um, and uh, I came across this church. I was a journalist working for Southern Cross magazine of the Anglican Diocese of Sydney. And um, I came across this this uh, church that was practicing healing and deliverance. And I went up there and really came to think that this was where I was meant to be. Of course, I met my wife there eventually, but it did become a full on cult. Um, this woman who claimed to have these incredible spiritual gifts ended up claiming to be God, as you do. Wow. <laughs> and uh, so I was, she was, uh, I was uh, in that group with her uh, until she died 16 years later, and then I was. Um, I was in charge.
0: Okay. Well, David, can you tell us the name of the cult?
1: It was called Zion Full Salvation Ministry. That should Uh, be enough.
0: (laughs) Yes. And did it have a lot of members? Was it like Australia wide or?
1: No, it it was only a very small um, elect group. There was only about probably 70 to 80 people at any one time. Um, uh, You know, Violet claimed, Violet Pryor was the woman's name. She claimed to be the bride of Christ and then went on to claiming to be God. Um, And we didn't really need to get a whole lot of other people because we were just so
0: special. That's remarkable, yeah, and how did this like sixteen years, how did this impact your personal life?
1: Well, as i said i did i you know i I really did suffer from depression all my life um and my through my childhood uh the those years were very very difficult she was she was a narcissistic sociopath, um a complete control freak, and um so I used to get calls twenty four hours a day pretty much. You know, in the middle of the night, and you'd get a call and you're supposed to answer within two or three rings or you weren't being spiritual. Um, and so life was bloody awful, to be honest. Um, and uh, I there were times when I even, you know, even thought of suicide. But the only thing that kept me going was the fact that we, you know, produced children pretty quickly and we had three gorgeous little kids Um um and so that that really kept me going but no that, it was, they were very difficult years
0: so it was like coercive control and you had lost your power to live your own life
1: absolutely absolutely yeah. you and there, and also the, the you you lose confidence in yourself as somebody does in a uh, a domestic uh, coercive control relationship issue you know you 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 suddenly become a much lesser uh, example of yourself. Um, And uh, a a dear friend of mine painted a portrait of me. Um, I went to school with this guy and and my my family hate it. But for me, I think it's really good because it actually shows how fundamentalist beliefs distort your humanity. Uh, My family hate it because there's no kindness and no gentleness in the painting. Um, but I understand where he was coming from, so uh, I actually like it. Sitting in the garage doing nothing.
0: <laughs> wow. Um, I, was, I just wanted to know, like, the impacts on your immediate family, your parents and your brother.
1: Well, my parents and my brother and sister and their children were estranged from us. We were permitted to see them uh, to, once a year or maybe a couple of times a year. We were supposed to get permission for any time of seeing them because the, the the Bible verse that a man's foes shall be though they of his own household was um, was used against them and against us. So we were we were we were taught to think that they were our enemies, um, and it's it, it's just absurd to think that people you know, that I adopted that sort of belief and my wife did and so on. So. When my both my parents died, my father died first. I'm pretty sure that I had a breakdown at that point because I realized that, you know, um, any chance of building a, an adult relationship with him was completely gone. And uh, I felt terribly guilty. Um, and then my, mo- my mother died five years later. Um, and uh, so, yeah, and I, I was 32 when dad died and, and I was 37 when Mum died.
0: Yes. And is your sister still alive?
1: My sister is still alive. Um, she's, uh, as I say, seven years older than me. My brother is probably ten and a half years older. Um, and uh, we've got a very good relationship. We're very close, um, which is great. I mean, it's a, it's a testimony to our family that they've been so forgiving, you know, because uh, they were pretty torrid years.
0: That's wonderful. I wish I'd known that you had a sister. I would have mentioned her at the beginning. Sorry, we didn't. We've only spent a short time on the phone. Um, So clearly, um, this sense of coercive control and total control of your life. Did you try and escape?
1: Um, I did think of that at times, and in fact, I probably at times it was very rarely out of my thoughts. Um, but I, I can remember very clearly I'd had a, a pretty meteoric rise in the f- couple of years that I was a journalist and I worked for suburban newspapers in in Sydney and uh, I got through a cadetship in like one year. And then I, I ended up sub-editing uh, newspapers in Queensland and, and so on for Cumberland newspapers. Um, but I remember I would imagine myself escaping and then going back to Cumberland newspapers to these people that I knew, the editor and the you know editor in chief and so on, and I I could only picture myself freezing and unable to talk to them. And that's and I think that was because you know um, of of what had happened to me in in that period of time. Uh, I, was, I actually we were very fortunate because you know she died, and then I was left in charge of the group for a few years and worked very hard to change the dynamics and the culture of the group so that people were more and more free um and then then we closed it down entirely
0: yes okay um what do you think made you sort of come to your senses if i can use that expression
1: well i i describe um you know you live your life on two different levels as we often do and um you know, on the on the one level, you're doing what you think you're supposed to do uh, or or what fear prompts you to do. And on another level, you're thinking, this is bloody stupid. You know, it's completely wrong, you know, but the fear is so strong that you're not able to overcome that. Um, and look, it, it took, I say it took really five years after she died. And, you know, I, I did all kinds of things to get myself into the local community and the southern highlands of new south wales where we were and encouraged the the members of the church to to do the same thing which they they gradually did Um, and uh after five years i suddenly realized that i had examined everything in my in my belief system to do with violet and my supposed christianity Um, but i hadn't come to terms with who she was or wasn't and I actually set time aside to do that and I did it <laughs> and I came to recognize that she was a fraudster
0: complete mm.
1: fraudster and I gathered the the whole group together to tell them that yes um, the extraordinary thing that happened at that time was that everybody accepted it it was like the the story of the uh, you know, the uh, the the emperor's new clothes um, where the little boy calls out and says he's got nothing on, you know, and and it took that little boy to do that for everybody to suddenly say, yeah, it's right. He's naked. And uh, so that was what exposed the, the whole thing. And after that, we made the decision
0: to close it and move on. Yes. An epiphany in, in, so, in some sort of way. Yeah, Absolutely. Look, you've mentioned, you've touched on your depression. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your depression, how you've dealt with it over the years, particularly in recent years? And I know that you've said you're now less hounded by the black dog than you're trying to keep a few steps in front of it. So that's very hopeful for people who suffer from depression that will be listening to this.
1: Look, I think, well, for me, um, I, I've been on antidepressants Um for uh, since since about my late 20s so that's a awful long time um and i I, yeah i'm I'm, the fact that i'm running a business at 69 which is which is i do with people who have disabilities and i have to say i love them all and and they love me so that's really actually good for me um because I, i get a lot out of it um and it gives me a reason to get up in the morning because I'm the sort of person that if I don't have that um I I think I could easily go back into you know getting morose and all that sort of thing and going over life's regrets um and the charity that I started also um I I'm I'm constantly um hearing of people who are really struggling I mean they they're queer people who have been thrown out of their homes they've been uh, denied by family they've been violently Um, oppressed you know and so you know they might have had a boyfriend killed or a girlfriend killed by family you know and the police chasing them and all the rest of it so I suppose that also helps keep me focused Um, it gets me down quite often but um, I I guess for me it's just how I'm I I cope with life you know Mm. and I'm also I, I am a writer and I've got a lot of projects on the go so I yeah I'm quite manic in that way and I that time i finished some of them <laughs>
0: <laughs> um interestingly uh one of the empirically proven f- uh therapies for depression is doing a little act of kindness every day so your mm. roles that you're engaging in now are covering that base very well um what makes you think that you've got adhd and do you think it might be useful to get assessed
1: I'm I'm not sure whether it would be useful to be assessed um <clears throat> uh because I'm not sure what that would produce for me but look the reason I think that I have got that is that I've you know the the reading I've done on it um tells me that I fit the category pretty well because you know all through my schooling um I I did very well at school up to year 10 in high school without doing any work Um, because I could never apply myself. And the subjects that these days would interest me greatly, things like science and history, again, I couldn't apply myself to them. And, and, you know, I I can remember the thought of reading a textbook. I still don't read a textbook. In fact, these days I don't read books. I listen to them. And I find that I just can't get the concentration to actually read a book, which I regret because I always used to love reading books. Listening to them is is what I do, um, and I find I start something new, and I get bored of it so easily. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, it's it's kind of like the you know the the brain's constantly looking for something else to uh, to make yourself feel happy, and so you go on to this thing, and you're feeling pretty good, and then suddenly you lose interest in that. You move on to something else, and um, it's not actually it's not actually that helpful, is it?
0: Okay. <laughs> Um, look, I know that you're passionate about the organisations you're involved in. Um, can you uh, enlighten our listeners about your organisation, Best People Care, which is your main um, focus at the moment?
1: Yeah. Well, look, uh, my eldest my daughter is now working with me there, and she's she's really good and uh, a great organiser and so on. I joke with her that I'm still the boss, but sometimes I don't think I am. Um Best people care came about because I started working in disability twelve years ago um, by by chance really uh, I'd been working in fundraising and kind of got really over that I'd done that for ten ten years or more um, and uh, i just when i when I started uh, in disability I just loved it because um, you know you you're focusing I had a cousin once who was born with a severe intellectual disability. Um, And I absolutely admired his parents, my uncle and aunt, for the love and devotion they gave to him and, you know, changed their lives dramatically. So um, I suppose that was a motivator for me. Um, So I've loved what I've done. And during COVID, um, the opportunity was there to start a business because the major organisations had had to cut back so much, mainly through, I think, fear of litigation. Um, But that meant that, individual clients who didn't understand COVID, didn't understand the restraints and restrictions and so on, we're going to miss out enormously. So I started a business that is a non-registered um, NDIS provider, and that's a category that, that is an appropriate category. Um, and I was able to then do things that the other organisations couldn't do and make a difference for the primary carers, being family, um and for the clients and uh, we've we've continued doing that i've been doing that we take them away for two weeks for two two or three days and we stay somewhere and we do different things which they absolutely love and they look forward to it from you know month to month um and we take them out once a week somewhere so we're doing 10 bowling or whatever or the things that people do i suppose the biggest difference in the way i operate and the way my daughter now operates with me is that um, organizations have very strong boundaries as to how a worker responds to the client and that's fine and there are legal reasons for that as as much, much as other things but it's not what the clients want many times what that client wants is a friend you know they can't get out and do things for themselves or they need help with their finances or or whatever it is but they don't want a professional. They want someone who, who can be, you know, in a sense, part of their family. Yes,
0: so a human connection.
1: A human connection. So that's that's uh, what we provide, and uh, uh, we we also do work on boundaries. But but uh, but you know, I mean, I get calls from some of the clients at different times, and you know, I just feel that they just need someone to talk to. Mm. You know, it's not all about you know charging them for for everything I do. It's just they. They need to say hello and say we've yeah. missed you or whatever it is, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, you're a very empathetic person. I, I've come to realise that. And um Very pathetic, did you say? Empathetic. <laughs> <laughs> um and it would be less than human not to feel a connection like as a retired nurse. It's hard not to feel connected despite having to keep boundaries with the people absolutely. that you're looking after. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Now, with the time we've got left, what caused you to start the charity Humanity in Need Rainbow Refugees? And I understand it it covers a lot of people, diverse people. It it
1: does. And look, I I started it because um, on social media I got a, a someone pleading for help for food, and uh, I was going to ignore it because you you never know whether it's genuine or not. Uh, but then I noticed this person was a friend of another mutual friend of mine. So I contacted my friend who then said, no, no, he's he's genuine. He's a, a refugee and told me something of his horrible story, which most of them have a terrible story, really. You know, I, I'm a father of four kids who I adore. They're all adults. And I love my grandkids. And the thought of a parent throwing out a daughter or a son because they turn out gay or lesbian or trans whatever I just can't understand a family not loving their own child you know you you raise that child you cuddle them in your arms um, the mother um, feeds the child on the breast and then suddenly a day comes when you say I don't want this child anymore and to me that is just so wicked so I also was pretty cranky, pretty angry, furiously angry, really, because a lot of the troubles that have happened in Africa have come from Christian missionaries and particularly these days from hard right uh, uh, fundamentalist preachers and they preach hatred. And uh, so, you know, I I, I decided to support this one person and then came someone else and then because of my background in charities, I said, look, let's form an organization. So we've done that now. We we put out uh, many thousands a month, um, basically to keep people alive. And so uh, I'd love it if anybody would like to help us in any way at all. If you haven't got money and you can, you know, give us some expertise or, you know, something or other, that would be wonderful. I've got a podcast where I I look for people to buy us a coffee that we can then pass on to to some of these wonderful people. Um, and uh, that's, on, that's on YouTube, and I can give you the link for that.
0: Yes, actually, uh, but, David, yeah. how can people follow you or make contact? Can you go into detail, please, and tell us about the name of your book, which I believe was written by you and your beloved brother?
1: Yes, exactly, and the book is on, on uh, Spotify as an audio book now. Um, I have several paperback copies left, so if anybody wants to contact me, I can give you the my contact details. Um People can find me on Facebook as David Aleph. The surname's a bit bit rare to find. Um, or find me for, through Humanity in Need, Rainbow Refugees, which is www.hin.charity.
0: Okay. And what about your Twitter handle? Are you on Twitter? I'm
1: on Twitter. I don't know how long I'm going to be on Twitter because I'm getting very rather tired of... Um, The the Twitter boss. Yes. Uh, But I am on Twitter and you can find me there um, under the handle, I think, is uh, actually probably Google No Sex, Please, and you'll find me. Um, That's a website and that that will give you all the the links and so on. Nosexplease.com.au. And it's a podcast that explores religion's expertise in sex shame.
0: Wow. And you've also got the laughing lizard on YouTube. Is that right?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a new one. That's only a very short one. I've got to okay. do an, another one hopefully today. But that's that's talks about the stuff that you and I talked about a little while ago about people with disabilities and the fact of um, you know the needs they have, which is greater than you know, give me three hours and let me do this and do that, and then send me home and expect me to survive.
0: Yes. Look David it's been really interesting to have a chat to you and really you've just this each one of those subjects deserves its own show to be quite honest with you but it's good to see that you're thriving after surviving a religious cult and you've also um managed more than one mental health issue which is remarkable and it gives hope to a lot of people. I'm someone who also is prone to depression. Mm. Um, Thank you so much for taking the time to share your truly inspirational story. And I and the Brainwaves team wish you continued success in your endeavours because you're still assisting those in need in your life. And we wish you every success with your projects.
1: Thank Thank you. Thank you, Susie. Really appreciate it.
0: Yeah.